when people comment on ways that God has changed me, and, and maybe you get the same question, if, if God has changed you, or you're being changed by God, is where did that start? Long, long uh, answer for me. It's been a great process and a long process because I'm, I'm bullheaded. Uh, this guy you're about to hear from, Jim Putman, God has worked through him uh, in ways that I never imagined could happen. And I, I, I'm overjoyed to spend time with him. We're going to talk about the Christmas, the facts of Christmas. And there is the soft soap version, the, the pretty story, and it's a beautiful story. It's a miraculous story. But there's so much to it that goes unnoticed. Jim Putman. How God works, I mean, that's the other part of this Christmas story that's amazing, is um, God who arranged Caesar Augustus without his knowledge to force a census which forced Mary and Joseph to go to to Bethlehem. The God who was able to do that could have caused there to be room in the inn. Yeah. But he chose not to. He chose he chose to be born. He chose where he was born in a barn placed in a manger. And it, where they feed cattle. Born in a barn that probably played a part in the raising of the sheep that went to that temple, including the sheep that were used for the Passover and the Day of Atonement. And maybe not that barn, but from that city. It, I think it's interesting and very, uh, very important, significant to say that this Jesus, who is the Messiah, was born where the sheep were raised for the temple sacrifice. Yeah. There's so much depth to the story. We also talked about the state of Christianity in America, specifically the Christian churches, and what happens as churches stray in just what they perceive to be little ways. Uh, most commonly right now, the uh, the lie of transgenderism and not helping people understand that the temptation of same-sex attraction is it's it's not unique that married people face sexual tra- sexual uh, temptation as well and so do unmarried heterosexual people or people who don't struggle with same sex attraction. Well, I've watched people compromise in little ways that led to compromise in other ways over time, a little bit at a time, one degree off, you've heard that. Yeah. But then I've watched the, the the generations after with no inhibitions whatsoever to go exactly where that door led. And so I'm watching things happen and and then, of course, then, you know, it's kind of like um, when when Joe Biden said, I'm going to unify the country. He didn't mean we're going to come together. He meant you all are going to come over and agree with me on this issue or we're going to kind of snuff you out. We're going to silence you. That's exactly the approach. I mean, once it, it, they, they start with, hey, let's just agree to disagree and you hold this and you hold that and I'll hold this. And let's just play together. But then they keep promoting, keep pushing until you are pushed out of the room. They do. And with the help of Bulwark Capital Management at KnowYourRiskRadio.com, you'll hear now from Pastor Jim Pup. The Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. Now, from the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City Exile, Todd Herman. Todd Herman. 
Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times to which God has decided we shall live. And man, if you uh, look at the soft soap version of the Christmas story, it's a simple story. The more I read about it and the more that I am taught and discipled, the more I understand the depths of it and the depths of the breadth. It is a huge story. And uh, it also leads into a discussion about where the church in America is today. And Jim Putman has has seeded a bunch of churches and has his uh, has this uh, pulse of what's going on with the churches. Joining me now is my pastor and pastor to a lot of people, senior pastor at Real Life Ministries in Post Falls, Idaho, Jim Putman. Pastor, good to see you, Jim. Welcome back. Oh, it's good to be back. Um, we talked about this, you and I, uh, around Christmas time, and then schedules exploded. And <laughs> I want to touch on, you know, this blessed event, the birth of the Lord Jesus. We recognize that. But people are at varying degrees in their faith walk. And I want to touch on what you think people should take away from Christmas beyond the obvious commercialism. I mean, people who listen to my show know that's not a focus for me. But what should people take away about the Lord Jesus, given the way he chose to be born? Well, yeah, every year, I mean, I preached about Christmas for 30 some years now. And when I decide what to speak about or talk about, I'm always looking at, okay, what with the situation I see where I'm at in my own personal life, what is it that really stands out to me this time? And, and this time it was the shepherds, I think. And, you know, I, I think about the situation that the shepherds were in politically, socially, um, you know, Rome conquered Israel, Herod, Herod the Great, the king, not even a Jew, bought his position given to, by, to him by Rome. The priest, the high priest chosen by Rome, you know, you're a shepherd. Your job is to raise sheep that go to the temple. You're five miles away from Jerusalem. And, and uh, within the, the community of Israel, you're, you're not even allowed to go into the temple. You, you provide the sheep. You're a Jew. And yet you're seen socially as awkward, second-class citizen. So there you are out there uh, in the fields guarding your sheep. You're guarding them because they're important to you. They're your livelihood, but they're also wolves and, and lions and, you know, and, and close to North Africa. And, and, you, and you've got thieves and you're guarding them. And then all of a sudden, I think the angel of the Lord shows Himself, And there's several things I take away from it. First, going through life, where is God? It's been 400 years since the last prophet. Messiah is supposed to come. The world seems out of control and been that way a long time. And you start seeing the physical world as it is. And you forget that the spiritual is going on, that, that God is working. And the angels, God, I think, just says, hey, let me show you what's really going on. There's more going on than you can see. And he kind of pulls back the curtain and says, there's a whole spiritual realm that you think isn't there because you can't see it, but it is. And so that stands out to me. That is something I think we need to take away that we get caught up in the world and the injustice of it and the brokenness of it. And that's nothing new on planet Earth because of sin and the enemy and our sinful nature and the curse and all that. 
And so we work in a physical realm without remembering the spiritual. And God's like, no, let me tell you, the angels are real. The spiritual realm is real. I think the second thing that stands out to me is that, that the angels said, hey, in Bethlehem, the baby has been born. Which means, you know, these guys are from Bethlehem. Their sheep are right outside of Bethlehem. And it means that, you know, they didn't even know that God had been working this whole time. So not only did they forget the spiritual realm and God was revealing it to them, but he's saying, hey, I've been working right underneath your nose. And just because you didn't see it didn't mean it wasn't happening. You know, the baby was already conceived. You know, the angel had already come to Zechariah and Elizabeth and the baby had already come or excuse me, the angel had already come to Mary and Joseph and, and, and Caesar Augustus. It looked like he was being a bully, but God was using him to move Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem and to fulfill the prophecy in Micah chapter five, you know, that, that the baby was going to be born there. And, and, you know, Caesar Augustus even thought he was, you know, doing what he wanted to do. He didn't realize his, his uh, number was being called and he was being used by God. He thought, you know, he was doing it all, but but God was using him to fulfill his own prophecies. And so as you think about the world we're in, we, we see the physical, we forget the spiritual. We think because we can't see God doing something, it means he's not. And uh, he's working. He's, he's using these political people. He's, he doesn't ever wake up and go, wow, I didn't see that coming. He he's he's active. And I, and I needed to be reminded of that when yeah. people are dying and evil seems to be winning and the wrong people are winning and, and the right people are paying it. That's the way it's always been. Yeah. 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 And, and there's something else, Jim, uh, that I want to ask you about. And it is this. It is um, the Lord Jesus so often uses people you wouldn't expect um, for his ends. He used the, sh- the shepherds in a way. Uh, you just mentioned that he used Herod, but later on he uses people like Caiaphas. And I want to talk about the Magi and, and how they were involved in this and how the Lord used them. And also I want to ask you, how did they know? How did the Magi know where to go? We'll continue talking with Jim Putman, who is a senior pastor at Real Life Ministries and also an author uh, and a best-selling one. Hey, soda weight loss is something that uh, is, is, is New Year's Eve thing, right? Everyone says they're going to drop unwanted fat. That's not everyone, but a lot of people do. Can I tell you, if you've made that resolution, here's my question for you. What exactly is your plan to do it differently this time? This time. Because if this is a repeat performance for you, as it has been for a lot of people, man, I used to have 150 pounds of unwanted fat on my body. If this is a repeat performance, what's going to change? You know that old definition of sanity cliche to do the same thing uh, over and over and expect different results? If you've been up and down on this roller coaster, are you done? Are you sick of it? Next year, do you want to have a different resolution? Well, Soda Weight Loss at SodaWeightLoss.com can help you with that. And here's how. They will get your body into fat-burning mode. They goose your metabolism. They, they gear it up for that. And they do that by providing you the right foods to eat at the right time and individualizing a plan for you. 
You do the weigh-ins at home. You never need to go anywhere. And I can tell you this. They are open to a form of peer review. 7,000, over 7,000 Google reviews. Perfect is five stars. Their average is 4.8. That is difficult to do. And I can tell you there's a lot of people like me who've taken off 150 pounds. The secret is this, their maintenance program, so that it stays gone. Get off the roller coaster next year. Make some sort of New Year's resolution that's, I don't know, come and soak in the water with me. My pastor won't even do that. I go soak in the water. We did seven minutes, 34 degree water. I loved it. I can't get Putman to do it. My own pastor says no. It's beautiful North Idaho. Sodaweightloss.com. Uh, I, I guess now that I said that in front of all the people, that I guilt you into it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Oh, it's so refreshing. So how did the, uh, there's two things in the magic. One, a friend of mine, um, he, he challenged me on that. It wasn't two years that it took the magi to get there. I want to get to that, but that's a little thing. How did the magi know where the Lord Jesus was going to be born? Well, in numbers, in old Testament scripture, it says that a star would come out of, uh, Israel, uh, and pointing to a, a leader and I think most scholars believe that uh, Daniel, who ended up obviously in Babylon, uh, prophet of God, brought the prophecies with him, uh, influenced not only Nebuchadnezzar, we know that it, to some degree, but he played a part in taking the faith to the Middle East. And so I think the Magi were um, obviously looking to the stars, I think that God created the stars. He's able to maneuver and manipulate. And, and so, you know, scripture says that, that creation itself speaks forth. And so I think you can look into the stars and and God worked in that way, but he also worked through an old prophet in Daniel who had been captured uh, as a slave and then ended up in a high position to speak to the, to the leaders in the, in the East. And I think, so you put those things together. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were looking for a leader, a star that was unusual, some sort of um, heavenly occurrence drew attention and they put the two things together and they came looking. And I went and checked, not that I'm checking your work because I trust you, but I went and checked. You'd said that it, um, the, the scripture says, I think it's Matthew. You'll correct me if I'm wrong, um, that the, the Magi went to the house where the Lord Jesus was, the baby Jesus, not the, not the manger, right? He went there well, to a house. We don't really know when the Magi showed up, but okay. most, most would say it was after the birth of Jesus. Okay. And, um, uh, not necessarily on that night. Yeah. Uh, in fact, honestly, there's debate between Justin Martyr and some of the other guys, uh, you know, within a couple hundred years of, of how soon the Magi had actually gotten there. So it's, it's absolutely a non essential sort of issue. Right, right. It's a great debate, but, but uh, it says there that when Herod asked the Magi uh, when they had seen the uh, the star, uh, and so then he put together the math, so to speak, and so then when he commanded the the uh, guys to go, his guys to go and kill the babies in Bethlehem up until two years old, uh, it's just assumed that 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 came from the information that was given to them by the Magi. Now again, then the question 
goes how much before. We know that the star had to have appeared before the birth of the baby for them to have come all the way from the Middle East. How long did that take? So um, it, it's a best guess. Yeah. But but most I think most scholars don't necessarily think that it was the same night. Yeah. I, I don't think it was the same night, but I think it was shortly after. I think Mary and Joseph stayed in Bethlehem. The angel of the Lord came and warned them about Herod, what he was doing when the Magi came. I think that the, the stuff, the gifts that the Magi brought them uh, ended up taking them into Egypt and supplying what they were needed in what was needed in Egypt until Herod died, and then they went back to Nazareth, and and Jesus was raised in that area. Yeah, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, you know that in addition to you, I love Crawford Loritz. Um, I think he's just a fantastic Bible teacher, so inspiring. Yeah. And he was talking about the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, a gift for a king. Um, mm-hmm. Frankincense was um, for the temple. Uh, to provide uh, incense that's to be pleasing to God. And then myrrh was traditionally used. It was an ointment, right, used in, in Jewish burials. Uh, so yeah. a pleasing smelling ointment. So, so much in that. But then also the monetary value of that, that was what Crawford yeah. mentioned. And you just mentioned that, that perhaps this is what Joseph lived on because when they had to flee Herod to protect the Lord Jesus as a baby, um, Joseph probably couldn't pull into town and open up shop as a carpenter there. Right. 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 That's exactly right. And so the the prophet Daniel, this is another thing, Jim, that that I've learned that the whole Bible is about Jesus. We could we could take this all the way back to Daniel is taken captive. Had that not happened, had Nebuchadnezzar not done that, is there reason to believe that Daniel would have been the sort of prophet he was or was his condition and how he was held and what he had to do to survive? Did that contribute to him becoming the prophet that he was? Well, you know, it's it, it's that's an interesting question. We know um, that Daniel was a young man who had great faith in God. And from the very beginning, he, somebody must have taught him something. Remember, Israel was uh, uh, Judah was taken into captivity because they had disobeyed God. And and so Daniel, who is faithful to God as a young man, is carried away with the rest of an unfaithful culture. So here's what that says. Even godly people uh, can be carried away because of the majority of the ungodly, but God still works in that person. And so I I think about this. uh, When a culture becomes ungodly and warned over and over again, God is going to discipline that country. And even faithful people, like, like let's say you're a good businessman, but you're in a culture that is completely ungodly and therefore there's discipline. And as a result, you lose your company. And, and, and that doesn't mean that you did anything wrong. It means that the conditions of the country impacted your life. Now, that also doesn't mean that you're left to the mercy of the culture. God will supply what is needed for you. It just may not be what you wish it was, but you can be impacted by the culture because of how ungodly it is. And then what's your responsibility? Well, Daniel said, no, I will not go along, but he did it respectfully. If you go through the way that Daniel worked in uh, in the uh, uh, Babylonian culture is a picture of what does it look like to stand on things but do so in a godly way and, 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 and to stand on the important things 
but to, to, to kind of work around as best you can, and Jesus would have said it this way, be shrewd as a serpent and peaceful as a dove. Uh, there's a book I read uh, by an author friend of mine. His name is Larry Osborne, who wrote a book called Thriving in Babylon. Great book. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, as you, as you go through this story, Daniel had an impact. And it's funny how that impact, I think, played a part his faithfulness years and years and years before uh, played a part in the story of Jesus, in my opinion. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, how God works, I mean, that's the other part of this Christmas story that's amazing, is um, God who arranged Caesar Augustus without his knowledge to force a census, which forced Mary and Joseph to go to, to Bethlehem. The God who is able to do that could have caused there to be room in the inn. Yeah. But he chose not to. He chose he chose to be born. He chose where he was born, in a barn placed in a manger. And it, where they feed cattle. Born in a barn that probably played a part in the raising of the sheep that went to that temple, including the sheep that were used for the Passover and the Day of Atonement. It, maybe not that barn, but from that city. It, I think it's interesting and very, uh, very important, significant to say that this Jesus, who is the Messiah, was born where the sheep were raised for the temple sacrifice. Yeah. And so Christmas attaches to Easter. Yeah. And, um, and so I, 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 the whole idea of God working all of this out, and I think Mary, God didn't tell Mary how this was all going to end. I don't think Mary was all that thrilled about being in a stable. You know, <laughs> uh, I think she's probably, um, I think she's probably upset. She's with a guy she's never slept with. Normally you have a, a, a midwife or your mom and grandparents helping you. She's there by herself in a foreign land. This probably wasn't a great experience for her. And when God chose the shepherds to come, I, I love who he chose people. Everybody else looks past. Yeah. And he even, he even got to choose who he invited yeah. regular from the very beginning very humble, regular, everyday people that other people would, would, would overlook. And I think that shepherds were invited and they came. And I think that was for Mary's sake. Because while she's sitting there in the, the um, stable going, what in the world is this about? I do what God says. I say, I'm your, your handmaiden, Lord. I'll do what you say. And you lead me to this kind of a place. And then all of a sudden the shepherds come and they say, hey, an angel of the Lord told us you were here. I think for Mary, it was he does know I'm here. Yeah, he is involved. And even though he doesn't do things easy, he doesn't make a room for me in the end or my relatives. I think she probably had relatives there that that uh, because of what was going on in her, didn't believe that she was pregnant by God. And, and maybe, you know, I think she probably had, you know, there was this city of David. It's where Joseph was from. No place for him in the inn or in those homes. God's saying, I see you and I know you. I'm willing to be born here. I know where you are. And he is Christ, the Lord, the Messiah. And I think that was an encouragement to Mary yeah. that though this isn't going to be easy, you know, and then you hear about the prophecy later on where Simeon says, Hey, uh, this this Messiah, this child is going to cause the rising and falling of many, and, and and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This isn't going to be easy. It's all part of the plan of God, but I'm with you in it. 
Yeah, yeah, I love that. Uh, Simeon saw that coming, and Simeon had wanted to see the Messiah born and got to hold the the baby, the the baby Jesus in his hands, and he knew. Um, yeah. And so all that, you know, all those repeated instances where people are saying, yes, 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 we know too. And also what you said about Christmas being connected to Easter, this is what the most, I think not the most, but perhaps one of the most remarkable things of uh, the facts of Christmas to me, the Lord Jesus was born to be sacrificed. Yep. Right. And that the Lord knew he uh, came to know as he became an adult that that was what would happen and how it would happen, how painful it would be. Uh, our God doesn't ask us to do things that he hasn't done. Um, right. right? Uh, our God went first. That's that's so remarkable and so beautiful. And then there's also this um, and we can address this uh, in just a second. I also want to ask you about the state of the church in the United States. We talk about it a lot on the cast, Jim, and I admit to you that I'm worried. Um, there's this that if the Lord had sent these and I want you to think about this, if the Lord had sent um the, the, the baby Jesus to be born in a castle or to go, you know, even middle class or, or upper class in, in a comfortable way. In other words, you know, in a nice place with um, nice wash basins and a bunch of midwives. Um, I, I've been puzzling about and I think I know how the the religious bureaucrats of the time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and how they would have responded to that and how that would have changed things. We'll continue with Jim Putman. There is, uh, man, when I got the note that Mike Lindell wanted to get back with us and work with us again, it was a pretty cool thing. And now I'm sleeping not just with the pillows. I don't just have the towels. Uh, I also have this, the sheets. And the fact is, with these sheets, you're going to experience a kind of luxury that is super, super hard to come by. Why? Because it's rare where they get these materials. Right. Mike Lindell sourced this stuff um, in a way that a lot of people wouldn't go to the trouble of. You've heard Giza Dream Sheets. Well, hear this. They're now as low as twenty nine ninety eight. And this is made from some of the world's best cotton that's grown in a small area of the Mediterranean, made into a fabric that is just ultra soft. I was curious why do these sheets stay cool when others get hot? It's because of the breathability of these sheets. I didn't know that. They're machine washable. They're durable. How durable? <laughs> Check this out from my pillow. All Giza Dream Sheets come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Shop the New Year's specials at MyPillow.com and do this. Use promo code TODD. You're going to get huge discounts on all my pillow bedding products, including blankets and pillows and comforters. Get the Giza Dream Sheets for as low as $29.98, but that's while quantities last at this price. So stock up now at MyPillow.com. Use promo code Todd for the New Year's special. MyPillow.com, promo code Todd. You get those discounts. And the $29.98 thing, that's, that's nutty low. And in terms of sleeping, uh, for me, it's always been about cool and smooth. And Lindell did it again. Love working with the guy. MyPillow.com slash Herman uh, and use my promo code. Jim Putman's with us. And Jim, before we pivot into talking about the state of the uh, the Christian church in America, uh, this is another thing I heard. And this came from... 
wouldn't you know that I like radio pastors? How'd that happen? We've got to get you a radio show. Oh, you're too busy. You're actually busy ministering to people. Why would you want to get anything like that rodeo clown like me doing radio? Um, I heard um, Pastor, oh, now I'm going to forget his name, Colin Smith. Colin Smith with his great Irish brogue. Uh, he was talking about if the Lord Jesus had gone, if, if, if God had caused this to happen, that the Lord Jesus was born around the, quote, important people, the religious technocrats or bureaucrats of the time, they would have said, well, of course he's come to us. Where else would he go? He wouldn't go to some stinking shepherds. And mm-hmm. I don't want to be sacrilegious in thinking that way, but I like to think about the beauty of the way God did things because the Lord Jesus's ministry was upside down. I got to mm-hmm. believe that they went to town. You'd have important people saying, hey, this really important rabbi wants to see you and you've got, they want to talk with you and hey, come on the team. And he never did that. So do you think that's an unreasonable thing to think that if, if, if God had chosen that, that these religious, you know, puffed up people would have said, yeah, of course he's coming to us. We're the big ones. Yeah, I, I think um, first, I, I, I think what we do oftentimes is we compare ourselves uh, to other people. And then we, we come up with a way that, you know, there's always somebody I'm better than. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I can find it. I can figure out <laughs> how I'm better than somebody else and justify myself. When I think about even if Jesus would have showed up in our greatest castle, it still would have been a step down for him, unlike anything else. Great point. Great point. You know, I mean, nothing on it. You know, if if you could take your stuff to the gates of heaven, (laughs) you you know, and you come walking up and you'd be looking around at all this stuff, our best stuff on planet Earth, you know, outside the gates. And then you're like, the guy's at the gate would say, you know, St. Peter would say, and I'm just... I'm just using a silly story, but St. Peter would say, dude, why are you bringing your garbage? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Just come inside here. And and there's a reason why all this stuff is out here. Uh, You know, if you go in there and if you, if you want to come back and get it, you can, but nobody ever does. You know, Um, when it comes to being born down here in comparison to God, there are none righteous. Jesus made it clear that he came not for the well, but for the sick. The doctor, the well don't need a doctor. He did not at all mean that there were well. He, but, but he came for those who acknowledged that they were sick. And the problem for the Pharisees were, you know, was that they were like, like whitewashed tombs, Jesus called them. They looked good on the outside, but they're, on the inside, they were, they were you know, full of dead bones and yeah. corruption. Yeah. And, uh, you know, holiness and righteousness was a comparative thing to others rather than what, you know, the story of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah is brought into the throne room of God as a prophet. And first thing that happens when he comes into the throne room of God, he falls to the ground and he said, I'm an, I, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm ruined. I'm undone. I've seen the Lord. I think, you know, when you stand before the Lord someday, you won't be able to take your eyes off of him and and everything else by comparison is corruption yourself everything else i mean these this whole what do i need to be saved from i'm as good as anyone else yeah that's not the problem all have fallen short we're all broken all wounded all corrupted all have sinned and the comparison is a comparison to righteousness and holiness which none of us are and so 
Jesus, right from the very beginning, tried to say, hey, this stuff down here isn't as important as you think. It isn't, you know, none of you are healthy and good and righteous. I'm coming to a world that is lost because of sin. And those who will humble themselves before me and let me save them and then follow me as Lord and Savior are the ones who are going to be in the kingdom of heaven. That, that, hum- those who- that humbling thing, yeah, Jim, that humbling thing. I didn't know what that meant. Uh, I knew what the word humbling meant. I'm okay with words. God has gifted me that way. I could go to the dictionary and give you examples of it. I didn't know what humbling meant uh, until the Lord left me no other choice but to admit the fact that I could not do the thing that was most important to me without his, without him taking over. I couldn't do it any longer. I reached a point where I was out of energy and my human love and compassion was tapped. It was done. I had no more. And he had to step in. But in, in the world, um, if you were to say that submission is freedom, you, you would be, it sounds like you're quoting Orwell. Um, but submitting to the Lord is freedom, and it has been through your teaching and God, is, God teaching through you. I don't want to get you puffed up. I know you don't do that, but God teaching through you uh, and through the, the brothers that you've introduced me to, that I've grown to understand that submitting is really just saying, hey, I'm coming home. I want to come home. I want to go back to the, the, the family I was meant to be in. And submitting is going in and getting rid of, it's, it's not getting rid of freedoms. It's getting rid of problems. It's getting rid of hurt. It's getting rid of, of, um, of poison from you. And it seems oxymoronic because, of course, you know me, I'm a, I'm a small government type. I want the government off my back. But God's not the government. He's our loving father. Is that, is that genuinely hard for other men or is that just me because I'm big and I'm big and pigheaded and, and dumb. Oh, I'll tell you, surrender and humility. The Bible says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Um, he hates pride because pride says, I don't want to receive what God gives to me. I want to earn it. I want to deserve it. <laughs> and and the reason God hates pride is because you can't earn it and you and you don't deserve it. What you earn and what you deserve is hell, separation from God. Uh, that's what you earn and what you deserve. It's kind of like I use it this way. If, if, have you ever been pulled over by a police officer who wanted to give you money because you were following the speed limit? <laughs> no, I've been pulled over and you know that a few times. No, yeah. not that. <laughs> well, it, it, here's why. They don't give you money for doing what you should do, but they will take money away from you for doing what you shouldn't. Right. When you do the right thing, you're merely doing what you should do. When you when you abstain from the wrong thing, you're merely doing what you should do. You get no points for that. So the system is when you sin, you fall short. But you're like, well, I want to make it up. You can't make it up. There's when you do the right thing. All you do is get what you should get, which is, you you know, that was what you're supposed to do. You don't give. They don't give you money for following the law. Right. Right. Um, And and so it's it's the we've all fallen short. So humility says I will receive salvation from him. I will let him pay my price. He is my sacrifice for my sins. He did it for me. And I have to open my hands and receive it. And secondly, because repentance means that I am like I chose my own way and and he was right and I was wrong. When he asked me to do something now, he loves me. Every rule he ever gave me is for my good. And uh, I'm going to follow him now. I'm surrendering to his lordship in the Garden of Eden. He was right when he said, don't eat the fruit. 
And so I'm going to surrender to him as Savior and Lord. And I want to be in heaven with him where he rules, where all the impact and the consequences for sin is gone, where I'm free to be what he created me to be rather than, you know, in slavery to sin and brokenness into a broken compass in my life that always points the wrong direction. Yeah, that's that's so well said. Um, You mentioned uh, just a second, Mother, a few minutes ago, uh, the book by your friend Larry Osborne, Thriving in Babylon. That's one of the books I'm reading right now. I'm also reading a book called The Gay Gospel, How Pro-Gay Advocates Misread the Bible. Joe Dallas wrote that. Man, that's that's a punch in the gut, what he went through and what he's discovered. I want to meld both of those things, Jim, into a discussion about uh, the state of the Christian church in the United States. Jim Putman is with us. There's a link to Real Life Ministries and some of Jim's books in the uh, in the podcast notes. We had a tremendous Christmas season uh, with Alan Soaps, uh, alansoaps.com slash Todd. And this story is remarkable. You want to talk about God working with people. Um, Alan is 12, and he has he is so impacted by autism that if you tried to speak to him, you couldn't understand him uh, because he can't form sentences. And it has taken me several conversations with Alan to be able to hear words. When he really wants to get something across, he has a tablet he can use. But now imagine being that. Imagine that is, that's your state of things. How joyful are you? Then there's this. He's on his seventh surgery. This one was uh, way up in the spinal column, right next to his brain. And he had to be knocked out and, and put in traction. And then how joyful are you? And he's a young man with a gig. He works every single day as the chief soap officer at Allen Soaps. He invents many of the fragrances. Why? Because he's nonverbal, but the communication you get from Allen is this product. So you get a soap like Cedarwood Jasmine, which is now back to being my favorite. That doesn't exist anywhere else. And it's not, it's not, Allen doesn't make the soap. They turn to a family with three generations of expertise in making small batch, all natural soaps. So you get who he is through this. Here's the thing about Alan. He's completely joyful. And I will tell you, I believe it is because he knows he's loved. Now, his family followed the Lord. And I will tell you, at the risk of embarrassing John, his dad, I knew John when it was cutthroat business time. Because I worked in politics, which can be a little cutthroat from time to time. You know the story about me weeping when I left DC and for apologizing to God for what I've done. John and I got to know each other then. And then these two blessed boys were born. And he said, my son will work. He will know the dignity of work. And it goes to the soap. I ask you to try it. Go to alansoaps.com slash Todd. You get 10% off everything there. And genuinely, if, if the soap doesn't work for you, then, then say good prayers for Alan. If the soap works for you, make a decision. You want to continue to buy it from Babylon? Or do you, you know, that's just a little rude. Or do you want to buy it from Alan Soaps at alansoaps.com slash Todd? alansoaps.com slash Todd. So, Jim, I was reading um, Thriving in Babylon in conjunction with uh, the gay gospel. And Larry Osborne makes a point, and far be it for me to argue with Larry Osborne. I, I just I, I would love to ask him this question. Is he contends that at the time of Nebuchadnezzar, we can't even relate to how wicked and evil things were. That it was broadly wicked and broadly evil. Now, I know there were sacrifices of children, etc. Uh, and it was, I, I get it. I've, I've read enough to, to think I know it was bad. 
But man, I'm talking about now in our country, you have the medical pharmaceutical system. They've got the kids coming to them. They've got the chemical and surgical mutilation of kids coming to them. They're in the schools. Jim, I had a, a, an expert in pedophilia on last week. Uh, he had worked with these guys for 11 years in prison. And I asked him about the, the sex ed curricula that's being shoved into the schools. I said, what the pedophiles think about this? Jim, he said, and I quote, mission accomplished. And I saw that. So I, I would take an issue only with Osborne in the, in the scope of evil. And I know that book was written a, you know, a, a while ago, but I think it's so pronounced and, and so profound. And this leads me to my deep question and my, my, I don't want to have fear because that's not a godly emotion, a concern about the state of the Christian church. There are biblical churches that hold to this and teach it with love and compassion and truth and, and grace go together when we preach well. What is the overall state of the Christian church in the United States in your mind? Well, I mean, <laughs> it's, um, it's a mixed bag. I mean, obviously, there are Christians uh, still preaching the gospel, and, and God's still at work. <coughs> Excuse me. But um, I've watched, uh, you know, just in my 35 years of being in, in uh, full-time ministry, uh, I've watched the church in America go from um, the Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God. And we're going to hold to how it was, you know, understood uh, from the, the very beginning. And I've watched them compromise in little ways that didn't seem like it was that big of a deal at the time. But when they compromised and they created a hermeneutic, an approach to Scripture that enabled them to, to compromise in that one little way, that compromise opened the door. Once you create a, a pathway for reading Scripture that enables you to go away from the original intent of the authors and, and, to, and to free you up to do something, it's like uh, opening the door into a room and you, you're like, hey, I only want to go into this room because I only want to stay within, you know, four feet of the front door. That's as far as I want to go. But the problem is once you open up the door, if the, if the room, if it goes on into a, a massive cavernous area, it, you want to stay four feet close to the door. Somebody else wants to explore and you created the pathway for doing it. And so I've watched people compromise in little ways that led to compromise in other ways over time, a little bit at a time, one degree off. You've heard that. Yeah. But then I've watched the, the, the generations after with no inhibitions whatsoever to go exactly where that door led. And so I'm watching things happen. And and then, of course, then, you know, it's kind of like um, when, when Joe Biden said, I'm going to unify the country. He didn't mean we're going to come together. He meant you all are going to come over and agree with me on this issue or we're going to kind of snuff you out. We're going to silence you. That's exactly the approach. I mean, once it, it, they, they start with, hey, let's just agree to disagree and you hold this and you hold that and I'll hold this. Or, let's just play together. But then they keep promoting, keep pushing until you are pushed out of the room. The same thing is happening within the church oftentimes. Now, not in every one. There's a lot of good churches out there. But, but the church in America in particular, when you look at the statistics that Barna, uh, Kinnaman, those guys have come up with, 
very small percentage of Christians are faithful uh, with the money that they've been given, using it for the kingdom's work. Very few attend church. What is it? 1.1 times a month is the national average. I think it's around 70% of American Christians uh, don't believe the Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God. And, and, you know, you go down the road and I would say there's a lot of people that call themselves Christians there, there really is a narrow path, and it's not near as many. I think there's going to be people that are surprised, yeah, because yeah. they don't know what the Word of God says, and they don't really care. Yeah, and that that and there's big thief. There's there's been a, a great stealing, a great theft from people. Um, you know, our kids have had the founding of the country stolen from them. They've had the heroics that the countries performed. Uh, certainly, they've had the meaning of scripture stolen from them. In this book, uh, the gay gospel, uh, how pro gay advocates misread the Bible. Joe Dallas wrote, um, he was a man who struggled with same sex attraction and then gave into it. And he ended up joining a church that existed to promote um, uh, you know, same-sex attraction and active sex that way. And and he said, "Hey, look, I'm home, and I, I feel uh, you know I feel celebrated." And and um, that went on for some time until God spoke into his life again. And I don't want to give the whole book away, but something profound came from that for me. And, and I'm just now in the you know about fourth chapter. Is he said in his mind it wasn't fair. Like I, I, he, he, he said, I, I have these desires and, um, I want to act on these desires and it's not fair. And that in his mind, the, the, the so-called gay church or the same sex attracting church, it's predicated upon God's word is not fair. And if you do that and you just, as, as some churches are, some churches are folding on uh, the, the so-called trans lie. They're folding on same-sex marriage. And they're saying, um, well, you know, we feel differently. Society's evolved, et cetera. But it really comes down to it's not fair. And would you really go to the God of the universe and sit with him and argue with him and say it's not fair? Because if you do it on same-sex attraction, what exactly could you not do it on? Could you not do it on theft? And if you could do it on same-sex attraction, you can certainly do it on adultery. And if you can do it on adultery, you can definitely do it on on thou shalt not murder. Well, sometimes I'm going to murder. It's not fair. I want to murder that person. And when I say these things, I'm often accused of, okay, you're doing the slippery slope thing. Well, wait a minute. Slippery slopes are real. This happens. So is that it in your mind that that churches that stray, is it that it's not fair or is it that they fear losing uh, congregants? How does the enemy work in them to get them to step away from the Bible? In, In my view, I mean, it's a very complicated issue. But um, in my view, it's 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 being born into a world that you don't know where it came from. You don't know how it got this way. You don't know what the solutions are and you don't know how it ends. So in in scripture, we were born into a perfect world. We were given a warning. We didn't listen. And we the, the world has been cursed. So now, as human beings, we are cursed with broken desires, we have a spiritual enemy that tempts and lures. And and so if you actually feel a certain way, that's okay. And you get to decide what good is versus we all have broken sinful attractions. We're all broken. And God tells us what we were made for. God tells us what's right and just, right? And, and uh, 
he gives us our design and how it's supposed to work. Now, we either, going back to the Garden of Eden, God said, don't eat of that tree or you will surely die. And, and, and the enemy said, first of all, God's lying. You won't surely die, um, which was a lie. Yeah. Right. But it, the issue was, but you, you don't want God to tell you what to do. You want to be independent of God. You want to choose for yourselves right and wrong. You want to choose what's right and wrong. And and so now it, we're dealing with the same thing, except most people don't understand that you're broken. It's like uh, when I go hunting, I, if I were to have a compass and I'm going to follow that compass, but somewhere along the line, I realize the compass is broken, and the whole time I've been following it, it's it's taking me to the wrong place. Yeah. Most people don't accept that they're broken. I, I get to be with people in our church who struggle with same-sex attraction, and, and, and I just join them in this. We all have different kinds of attractions that are broken. Yeah. You do, I do, yeah. right? And it, mine aren't any better or worse than yours. Right? right. But I'm but God tells me what I was made for. And I'm going to live that out, which means I'm also going to have to say no to myself. I'm not going to trust in my own heart anymore or my own understanding. But in all my ways, I'm going to acknowledge him. Proverbs three, five. I'm going to say no to sin. I'm going to say yes to him. Now, does that take away? I, I, I always tell people that, you know, people will say, well, listen, Jim, in, in heterosexual attraction you have a way to satisfy your desires and there is no place for me to satisfy my desires well no here's the deal just because you can have sex doesn't mean you're satisfied with sex and just because you know if that were true that every guy who's married who has sex with his wife would never be tempted to commit adultery on his wife when sex and your desires become uh what's important and your desire is to fulfill them um it, it, that's 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 your goal and that's what's going to you're going to find out your sin nature is insatiable no matter what you do it's never going to be satisfied yeah and you know so it, it doesn't matter uh, you know, you give into it's like uh, uh, was it Rockefeller said? How much is enough? And he said just a little bit more, right. right? It doesn't matter what it is. You were designed a certain way, and it has a certain purpose. Sex was never your your most important identifier, your identity. It's not the most important uh, desire. It's not if you if you give into your desire, it's not going to be satisfied very long, if at all. Our job is to say my my, my sinful nature. I am broken. I'm surrendering to the Lord Jesus to save me from this. I want to live according to His design, but I have to endure until Jesus returns and 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 you know, or death yeah. takes me home. I have to endure this broken sin nature I have that really isn't satisfied with anything uh, except for walking with Jesus, who, who gives me a deposit that helps me get through until I get to heaven, where at that point, all my des desires are going to be in line with God's purposes and fulfilled in him. Yep. Nothing I do down here is going to satisfy all. In fact, that's why Paul writes in second Corinthians, he says, meanwhile, we groan inwardly, Actually, it's uh, Galatians 5. We groan inwardly as believers, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. 
He says that the earth itself groans, even as a believer. There's something wrong, and I know it. The difference between a believer and an unbeliever, a mature believer anyway, is the unbeliever thinks he can have, he can give in to his desires and they lead to a good place. A believer knows his sinful desires do not lead to a good place. There is a proper way to use them, but you're still going to deal with this desire to do it incorrectly that you're going to have to live in and fight with, with the help of the Holy Spirit and God's word and God's people to get to the end of this journey where it's all going to be okay for those who have chosen to follow him. Yeah. Yeah. It's so well said and, and so much comes to mind here and I don't want to keep you long. I know you're busy. Um, but Jim, there's been, I remember when I was growing up, we had a, a next door neighbor who was a, he was a pastor <laughs> and he went to Las Vegas and then from Vegas outside of Vegas. And he slept with a, um, he had sex with a prostitute and he came home and he admitted it. He told his wife and, 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 uh, and you can imagine the struggle of forgiving him. And then he went again. And this time he spent 30 days there and he drained the bank account. And anybody who ha- can't stop eating a Dorito and I'm not comparing women to Doritos, but, or, or donuts, Right. That's what you said about marriage is so important for people who struggle with same sex attraction or who have, you know, embraced it. Understand heterosexual people do face these things. Right. And I always I, I, I shy away sometimes from saying stuff like this out of respect for my wife. But I also want to be honest and and, you know, be honestly transparent. A couple months ago, I had a conversation with a woman and I was, I was, um, you know me, I'm a, I'm a gym rat and I was teaching some classes and no, in fact, I told my wife about this, I think I'm going to, I'm going to find out cause she's a listener to the podcast. If I didn't tell her, I'm going to hear about it. <laughs> and, and as I was visiting with her, um, she touched me in the arm a couple times and said, Hey, could we go get coffee? And I had a biological reaction to this, right? So, oh, I'm excited and, and not, not in a sick way, but you know, my heart rates up, et cetera. And I said, in my mind, I said, Lord Jesus, help me with this. And I called to the Lord and it went away. And I said, hey, I, I can't do that. I'm married. And, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were married. And, you know, and I said, no, no, I'm very pl- flattered. Very nice of you. You know, no, but uh, I can't. And, and you talk about practicing sin versus sinning. Sinning is, hey, I made a mistake. In that moment, I had a sinful thought. And, and giving it to the Lord Jesus was practice. Like I had to practice doing that. And I have to practice it with traffic, right? I am a bunch of slow people in front of me. Lord Jesus, give me patience. But people are trained instead to practice sin. And you describe it as the difference between sinning occasionally and practicing sin is like you practice wrestling or I practice CrossFit to get good at it, right? So that's what I see in this culture where I think the enemy, the enemy is scheming and he's a liar, thief and a murderer, but he cannot create he can only tear down. He, he, he cannot love. He has none of that. Where I think he's been really effective is, is getting in people's minds that sexual satisfaction is ecstasy. It is the ultimate in pleasure. It is meaning, and then tying it into, it is you. You are defined by the sex you have. And the Lord looked at this moment of time to try this back to Christmas. Yes, my son, myself, the Trinity, will be born in a manger. He is born to be sacrificed at a time in his life. He's going to be spat upon. He's going to be whipped. Um, he's going to be whipped so hard that his ribs on his back were probably exposed. Um, he's going to be hung up on a tree. He's going to suffer enormously. The weight of the sin of the world will rest on his shoulders. And it's a blink of an eye. 
Yes, it's a sacrifice like you and I can never understand, and it's a blink of an eye. And this is where I think that the devil's been so good is, man, but it felt so good to have that sexual relationship with that woman for that night or that week, or as in the case of the pastor that we live next door to, for 30 days with however many women. But now it's eternity in separation from God versus eternity with God. Um, how do we teach that to people? How do we get across to people that pain in, 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 in comparison to forever with God, painful, a painful decade will be a blink of an eye? Yeah. I say it this way. It, there's a difference between tripping in a hole and taking a shovel and digging a hole and building your house in it. <laughs> I like that. You know, you trip and you're like, oh, man. And you get back up, you know, yeah. and you're like, wow. But you start looking for a place to dig a hole and build a foundation. You know, the, the word of God says no one who is born of God continues in sin. It, it, that means continually practices without regard to. Why? Well, because you have a relationship with God. The, the way I would say it is like this. Before I was a Christian, I abused my parents. I abused my father. I, I embarrassed him. I humiliated him. I didn't listen to him. I threatened him. I was terrible, right? But he kept loving me and pursuing me. And when I did my own thing and, and now I've got addiction problems, and I'm losing everything I care about. And he just, no matter what I had done, he wouldn't let the bridge between us be burned down. I would burn it down. He would rebuild it. And, and he had boundaries, but he kept reaching out to me. When I finally understood that he had loved me and he was the only one, him and my mom are the only ones left standing. And I came back and they were there for me when I had abused them and all that. It changed my complete perspective towards them. Now I still make mistakes. I might forget a birthday. I might say something that uh, hurts them. But I care about it. When I do it, I'm like, wow, I'm so sorry. I did not mean, I didn't, I, I don't disregard them and I don't plan on hurting them on purpose. Uh, I love them. I still make mistakes, but I do everything I do now in my relationship with them, with their love for me in mind, when you give your life to Jesus and you understand that the sin that we're committing hurts us and hurts others, then it hurts him as the one who created them and loves them. Yeah. Um, when you understand that sin hurts you, hurts others and hurts him, you don't just live in it. You can't because you care about what he did for you. You care about him. You care about what he cares about. You know, I, I, pornography, for instance. Imagine, Todd, you know, I, I've got a granddaughter, right? Yeah. It, it, I now look at it like this. If my granddaughter were to do porn, I mean, it'd be, a, 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 you know, not watch somebody else, but so, allow herself to go through all that. How would I feel about my my daughter i'd be so sad for her yeah i would be crushed for her that she views herself that way that she doesn't understand what she's doing to other people's marriages and fantasizing about stuff that isn't even real and she's hurting herself and people are using her how would i feel about anybody who looked at that so that she actually made money on it or or was exposed i would feel like you're using my daughter right? Pornography is not a, a, a victimless crime. You're actually messing with one of God's creation and he loves her very much. And you are using her as a tool for your own pleasure. 
And you're doing this and you're hurting yourself because it's 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 tearing down your own ability to to have a normal life and to, to cherish your wife or your future wife or your husband or whoever. Uh, if you're a woman, you're, you're doing something that's hurting you and it's stealing from your wife. It's saying to your wife that you don't you know, you're not enough. Your body isn't good enough. Somebody else actually, when you start to look at what it does from God's perspective, it's not victimless. It hurts you. It hurts them. It hurts their family. It, 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 it causes this to continue. And God's looking up there going, I didn't make you for any of this. And I love you guys so much. And when you start to t- bring God and your relationship with him into the equation, you cannot continue in sin without regard to God and, and, and who he is. You may have gone through a ceremony, but your heart never changed and you never took into account a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. And so that's, that's why he says what he says about you can't continue in sin if you're a Christ follower. I met uh, a woman, uh, Jim, who had been, um, she got into the, the world of pornography and it started with stripping and then it was, um, hey, let's make some film of you stripping uh, or video. And then it was, hey, let's make uh, some different videos. And let's let's. And then it became pornography. And she got to be very well known in that business, and and was making a ton of money and horribly addicted to drugs. She had to be to allow people to do that to her body um, and to just and to disassociate. And she described it as, well, I wasn't even there on the set. I would have flashbacks later to it. Um, Jim, she was in Las Vegas at at one of the porn you know, uh, shows where the, the men who are addicted to that go and they 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 get to meet these women. Right. And it's next door to a tech thing uh, that used to go on. And that was very purposeful, right in the same building. And she's there signing um, DVDs and, and, you know, getting pictures taken with these men. And this man in front of her, she's, she's done with him. He moves on. She looks and her father is standing in front of her, her own dad. And the thought that went into her mind was, oh, my gosh, my dad's at a porn event. Gross. And he looked her in the eye and he said, I am not ashamed of you. We made mistakes and you were doing the best you can. And you're broken and I love you. And I want to give you my hotel room and I want you to come home. We miss you and we love you and I am not ashamed of you. You are my daughter. And a couple things happened behind her. Men heard that was her dad. You were talking about, God forbid that happened in your family. Those men peeled off in shame. Mm-hmm. And she went back to her hotel, her hotel room and she struggled with this. And her dad had told her, I will stay here until I, it, it, I, until you come or I know you're gone. And she finally went and she knocked on the door. And he let her in with a hug. He said, I have missed you so, so much. And she burst into tears. And he said, come home with me. And she said, I will. He said, now, now, come home with me. She said, but my stuff, who cares? Jim, he got her in an airplane, took her home. And you know what she told me on the radio on the radio program? She said, Todd, if my dad had said anything else, any other words, I wouldn't have gone with him. The first thing he did is look me in the eye and say, I am not ashamed of you. And she felt forgiven. And I think of God, our father, and I think of the people listening to this. All of us have sinned. And I'm thinking of people who are apart from the church. 
and they have that draw. That's if you feel that right now, if you're feeling that in your chest, that is not me and it is not Jim. That is God the Father. And he is calling you to himself no matter what you've done. And he wants you back. To me, that is Easter and Christmas tied together and the whole package of a loving dad who's going to pursue us until the very end. And the choice is now. So that's what that brought to mind, Jim. Um, I want to thank you for coming on. I, I, um, uh, sorry, I got a little wordy there, but man, that brought back images. Uh, Jim's work is linked in the podcast notes. Uh, you can, you know, or go to the Substack because some of the podcast platforms no longer let us link because we're so dangerous, don't you know? Uh, Jim, any uh, quick closing thoughts to people in the next couple minutes? No, I, right. you know, I enjoy spending time with you, Todd. I love you, buddy. Love Proud you of who God's made you to be. Well, God worked through you to do that and your team. So I'm deeply, deeply thankful. And I always am. Jim, always will be. Jim Putman is the senior pastor of Real Life Ministries in Post Falls, Idaho. He's an author and a, and a very successful one. Um, and look, if you don't have a biblical church and you're not attending one, uh, part of being the body is getting in there. Find a biblical church, walk in the door. And hey, if they're not welcoming, go go form the welcome committee. Go help the body of Christ. This is the Todd Herman Show. Please go be well, be strong, be kind. And remember that right behind the scenes, God is working right now in this moment in you. 